Hello and welcome to Direction Psychology's podcast. My name is Loz and I'll be your host. Today's episode is a recording from a recent presentation our psychologist Anna Mazardis did at the Type 1 Diabetes Family Centre for parents of children with type 1 diabetes to help them support their child through the mental health challenges commonly experienced with diabetes. Just to let you know, there is a little bit of background noise just because it was recorded in front of a live audience. I hope you enjoy.
phobia, so uh, phobia is an intense fear of something. And related to type 1 diabetes, what I mean is basically needles and anything that needs to be inserted into the body, whether it be a pump, whether it be a sensor, whether it be anything like that. So that's where that phobia um, comes along. Linked to that intense fear is uh, general anxiety. That anxiety could be uh, about future complications from the, from the condition. Some kids who are what we call component type don't just worry about today, they worry in you know, 10, 20 years in advance and they you know, come up with, with all sorts of questions like, well, what if in 10 years' time uh, my diabetes will affect this part of my body and I won't be able to do this thing that I really want to do? Other anxiety, of course, come along with social anxiety. So what I was talking about before, the feeling different, feeling like your body image is different to other people or functioning. Depression is all about that feeling of, I guess, isolation and that hopelessness because you're looking into the future and you're going, my platform's with me all the way, all the way until what I can see in the foreseeable future. And that can create the feeling of hopelessness. It's not like, you know, you have the flu and you kind of have that for about two weeks, but then you know the flu's going to go away and you'll feel better. With a chronic health condition, it can be anyone. Um, type 1 is just, you know, one of those examples. It's, it's looking and going, wow, this is forever. A lot of people that can take quite a bit of time to get used to and they go through stages of breathing through that and depression would be one of those breathing stages. Um, and disordered eating is one of the other key common mental health issues that can come with this as well. Um, females more than males at the moment, but you know, stats change every day. Um, so it can, you know, be breaking down more in the future, who knows? Um, and we'll be talking specifically about disordered <coughs> Signs and symptoms and what you should be looking out for when it comes to trying to figure out is there a potential that my child is experiencing a mental health difficulty with having type 1. So for under fives, um, what we might see, or what you might be seeing, is the child is having lots of temper tantrums anytime there's needles um, that have to be administered. What I mean by aggressive behaviours is things that they've learnt before, um, sort of that. So a child may be toilet trained, get the diagnosis, and you might start seeing that toilet training regress, and it might start going to bed again at night time, have to go back to diapers and that sort of thing. So it's almost like some progress that came across developmentally goes back into a little bit because of traumatic and because of diagnosis. Refusing to eat, overeating, um, hair pulling or nail biting. Another typical one with anxiety is licking the mouth. So you might commonly see some of those children really red mouth because they've been looking at the thing and that can be um, a typical sign that they're anxious. Having a lot of nightmares, so one or two on the other occasion isn't anything to be you know, worried about, but if it's something that's happening um, quite regularly for uh, long periods of time, that could be an indicator that it could be an underlying mental health difficulty going on. And the last one there, excessive cleanliness, so just falling around uh, parents or a caregiver not wanting to part with them, they're following them to the toilet, following them to the shower, not wanting to be a part with them. And then for primary school aged kids and teens, what you might see is less of those uh, very obvious behaviours, but you might start seeing changes in the HPA1C. So maybe if over a few um, months or a year or two, they were relatively stable and had the same sort of number. And then all of a sudden you might see uh, in one of the clinic visits, it's spiked and gone up drastically.
with any comments. I can see that this really is making you feel horrible right now. I can see you're really upset. Wow, this feels so terrible for you right now. And just, it might take 10 minutes for that episode um, to, you know, go through. It might take half an hour. It might take 45 minutes. Each child is individual. And it's sort of sometimes going to it as a parent. Do I have the time at this particular moment to allow them to you know, express and shed all that emotion at this point in time? And if you do have the time, let it happen. Uh, let them go through that. And afterwards, what you might find is that after the tears have subsided, after the anger subsided, there's a sense of peace almost for some of these children, and then they can continue on with their day or with their evening. Um, and so if it's verbally that they're communicating, that they don't like diabetes, that they hate diabetes, that they're frustrated with diabetes, you can also offer them non-verbal ways to express that. So some of the younger children, getting them to just draw their anger and frustration out of paper. Uh, old kids and teens, it might be giving them a punching bag or giving them a pillow and just letting them sort of express that anger and that frustration into an inanimate object that doesn't have feelings so it's not going to get hurt. <laughs> and at least in that way, then, you know, channeling some of that energy and force outward instead of blocking it up and keeping it up with them for the rest of the day, for the rest of the evening, for the rest of the week. So I can't stress enough how much listening and validating is a very, very important uh, skill as a just always keep developing and trying to develop. Instead of just you know, trying to rescue the child from their feelings at that point in time. Because sometimes they don't need that rescuing, they just need that being there, listening, validating. Number two, so helping out where possible. So I put here ensuring expectations are age appropriate, but six year old in one family might be very different from six year old in a different and that comes down to their level of maturity. So age and maturity determines how much responsibility you think they need to be having with the diabetes. Um, and it might be at some point in time, they've reached that side of the pendulum, which is they're going through the diabetes burnout phase. And at that point, you can offer the diabetes going for a diabetes holiday, where you sort of say, I'll, I'll uh, come into control of your diabetes for the next day, for the next two days, for a short period of time during the week, where I can do as much things as I can for your management, just to give you a bit of a time out from it. And sometimes that can be enough for the child to flip out of the pendulum swing and sort of go back to normal, or to that middle point where they then re uh, continue with their personal diabetes management. So this is before your eight-year-old versus an eight-year-old from a different family, might have totally different personality types, cognitive development, uh, just skills in general. So again, it would be up to you to go, okay, what is really their maturity at this point in time? And what daily management tasks can I give to that child? And what can I keep for myself to keep helping them out? And as they grow into a teenager, obviously that's going to change and you're going to have less and less input. But that doesn't mean, even with teenagers, uh, they can't offer diabetes rates. I have a few clients where the parents have gone back and said, look, we'll really help you out just this one time. We can do a lot of these management, uh, management tasks, and the team's really taken to that, and it's really helped to do a lot of them. So don't nag your mind. So who knows the difference between nagging and reminding, let me just say it's in the tone, so firstly it's in the tone that 
So I put their gentle reminders, but as a parent, I can imagine you're at more centers, you just want to feed you at a particular level, and it's very easy to launch into the, you know, that tirade of, have you done this, have you done that, why have you done this, but it's really looking to do this right now. Um, but too many of those reminders can send them a message that you don't trust them with their, with their health condition, that you don't trust what they do. Uh, and kids can really rebel against that and become more resistant. The third point is a bit of a controversial topic, allowing them to make and learn from small mistakes. So, what is a small mistake in type 1 diabetes? <laughs> and that's up to your parents to figure out what is your level of finding out what is a mistake and where do I have to draw the line? This is their health and I really have to prioritise my involvement in this. So, can anybody pick up a small mistake? And then I'll give a suggestion on what one might be. Having a gingerbread man at school and going up to 22. <laughs> 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 yes, so that was something I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you. 
they need a diabetes holiday when you're taking that responsibility off them for a few days. So just having that conversation, understanding with the baseline for the management behaviors and they that they understand that's that's what they're gonna aim for, that's their responsibility. And when you're gonna step in and have a family meeting when you're seeing that those management behaviors declining. Alright, so number five, positive reinforcement. This is a really, really important tool to be using. So these kids and these teens, they're doing something that other kids and teens are not doing for their own health. And so you need to be acknowledging and praising their efforts in everyday life. And it doesn't have to be something super, you know, positive. Oh, you did your wellness today, fantastic. It could just be something that you sneak in and go, you did a really great job today and just looking after you well done. So it can be very general, but it's still validating that they had to work hard that day to keep themselves in a state of well-being. Reward systems, great for younger kids, great for primary school age kids. For teens, it might be, well, you can still use reward systems, but they have to be very specific. Unfortunately, the teens these days only kind of work with screen time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, having that in mind, so this week you did XYZ of your daily management tasks that we spoke about. You've met, you've met those uh, criteria. Um, so this is a reward that we'll have planned for this weekend or in the holidays or something like that. So just you know, having that external positive reinforcement something positive in a way because they get something to look forward to because again they're doing something that a lot of the other kids and teens don't have to do so having that extra reinforcement is going to have a positive impact connection and support so i've come across a few clients where definitely they feel very different very isolated and so getting them to attend special events with other uh, children with quite one other teens with quite one can be a massive step in getting them to see that they're not the only ones and that there's other people that are going through the same worries, the same tasks, the same um, preoccupations as that as they are, very in the same state, etc. etc. So the family centre runs regular social events and they're really phenomenal. Um, excursions, incursions, um, cooking in the kitchen, um, going to aqua, camps, everything like that. Some kids, I have heard them say to me that if I go to one of those events, then I'll feel like I'm one of them. And I don't want to feel like I'm a type one person. I want to just be a person that has type one. And at that point, I say, if it's entirely up to you, it would have a benefit you in the long run, seeing that there are other kids just like you going through exactly what you're going through. I can give you morale, I can give you a positive boost, but at the end of the day, it's up to you when you feel like you're ready, then you decide to go to one of these events. So as a parent, how much do you push? If you push just enough, give them the final say. Ensuring participation in regular sports, regular school camps, and everything like that. Just that consistency and feeling like you're going to kids, which can be very tricky, as I said before, when hypers come around and they have to leave their natural leave their game or something like that. But at least they've had the opportunity to engage in it. With camps, uh, I have heard, unfortunately, some schools that will not take kids with type 1 on their camps just because they're not trained enough or they don't feel confident enough to look after that child. Um, so it really also depends on your school and what you're going to. 
looking online, looking at pictures, like CGMs, looking at pictures of pumps, looking at videos of other people putting them on, inserting them, things like that. So you really start at the basic level and then you take it one step to the quality further, one step to the quality further. But again, that does take a little bit of planning and time and might need a professional involvement through psychology input. Uh, each of those steps would then be combined with a specific reward because external reinforcement, as unfortunate as it is, is a key thing to getting through a phobia. So the child has an idea of why am I working towards this, what's my incentive for it. So you have to provide the right value of incentive for each step. So the easy steps might have something small, uh, whereas the bigger steps might have something more valuable to them. And that can be true. So for the kind of strategies that work for specific phobias, they also work for anxiety. And it's something you've probably heard so many times
she has to do a slight change or something like that. Um, I'll give her
maturity of your child, which then influences the kind of language that you use. So with a six-year-old, you wouldn't be saying, if you keep going the way you're going, you're not going there to have cardio or something. <laughs> a six-year-old won't understand what that means. So you might say something like, we need to really, uh, you know, stay on top of our diabetes management so that all of, all of the systems of our body can stay nice and healthy and work to their best ability or something like that. So you don't have to necessarily be very specific about what can be effective with the younger children. You might just keep it simple to it so that our bodies can stay at the best uh, abilities that they can stay. Um, and I've got here back to this threats. So maybe if you are launching into a bit of a conversation around you know, if you keep doing this, this will happen to your kidneys or something like that, then maybe going, okay, am I talking about this because I'm being practical about the learning management? Or am I saying this because inwardly I'm almost trying to threaten them to go back into the diabetes management because they're not being on top of it? So, uh, and of course, you know, using that threatening language comes from our own sense of wanting our children to be, you know, at their peak in terms of their health and things like that. So don't feel guilty if that's what you're kind of, you know, kind of using. Just identify that that is what's happening and then bring it back to, okay, I'm threatening this isn't a factual conversation that I'm having with my child at the moment. I need to Thanks. 
your mental health, our wellness, and do specific strategies, cognitive behavioural therapy in a group environment with other kids and teens that have pipelines. So I hope there's been a little bit of a hold on that through trying to get PC involved and blame some with us, but hopefully next year that might come through and that might be an option of the family sector as well. But at the moment we, we have our um, uh, typical groups that have everybody can come in, it doesn't matter necessarily if they have a diagnosis or not. And also through normalising the experience of having mental health difficulties, it's also great for those people, for those clients who cannot handle 45 minutes to an hour session where it, be, where it all the attention is poured onto them. Some children might not like that. Uh, I've had some clients like that. We're going to um, recommend that they do a group based life because less attention is placed on them, the attention is really more so the group programs at the moment that we offer at Direction, there's a bunch of them and they all have a core theme to them. Um, Magic Quote, Positive Psychology and Resilience, these two Adrian is there. Girls with a Purpose, all about building self-esteem, self-worth, a little bit of body image as well. In the zone, so coping specifically with anxiety and overwhelm, so team group. Wise time, specifically for depression and anxiety, Body Project, which is all about improving teen girls' perception around their body and how they, their body doesn't have to fit the, uh, the stereotypes that social media and that they need to bombard them because this is the body you need to have. So all of these are just external supports that are available. So with all of the strategies we've spoken about, the journals and specifics, this would be kind of the next step if you've identified that yes, my child is definitely Yes, I do need some external support here, whether it be for individual or for group. Well, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed Anna's presentation and found it helpful. If you'd like to access any further information or resources, please just check the show notes. Thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next time.